We are back in Jude, Jude verses 14, 15, 16, and we're going to try to get to 17 today. We're actually finishing up verse 16, talk about some things there. What we're going to be looking at is words, the words of the, uh, the false teachers, the heretics. One of the things that's uh, enlightening when we look at today, verse 17, uh, he's going to begin to call them beloved, uh, which is a, a huge word, beloved, it's, it's a covenant word. Uh, it's not just their love, they're cared for, it's their, their, their partners. This is a, and, and translations need to be a very careful when they translate this word so they capture the idea that they are beloved of God because they have this special standing in Christ. That's the idea, that they're members of the new covenant. So we have two groups here that we're talking about. There are the beloved that are in the church, but their leadership has come in and is actually, we can see, uh, they're, they're already condemned. They, they've been prophesied about. Their fate, is, in a sense, is set. Now, that's not to say people can't change, that God's not always offering salvation. It does mean, though, that a person can cross a line and they are not coming back. It's like they may, may live for 5, 10, 20, 100 years longer, but they're not coming back. Uh, and God seals their fate. It's, it's the hardening of the heart. Look at Pharaoh. I mean, there's examples of Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardened his heart, hardened his heart, and finally God says, okay, we're done here. And Pharaoh didn't die. He just was used as a tool of the Lord. And these false teachers, and again, you can judge my teaching and, the, and, and get your own opinions of the book of Jude, but these false teachers are uh, doomed. They're like, like shooting stars heading in the darkness. It's not like, be careful, you could end up in darkness. No, you are heading to darkness. Uh, but when he talks to the re- readers of the book, they're called beloved which would be the opposite in the sense that they are in the new covenant. They are sealed with Christ. They're just dealing with some false teaching that's misleading them and is going to cause damage. Now, uh, I will read again. Let's just go to Jude. Uh, And where do you begin besides the beginning? I'm going to try to begin. uh, That's a long ways to read. So I'm going to begin just in verse 11, and we'll come back and review a few things here. Woe to them, talk about the false teachers, they have taken the way of Cain, they have rushed for profit into Balaam's heir, they have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These, are, these men are blemishes at your love feast, meaning they're, they're part of the church, they're eating with them. They're blemishes at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest qualm. They're shepherds, meaning they're leaders, who feed only themselves. They're not there for you, they've taken position. But anything they do is to manipulate for themselves. Uh, they are clouds without rain, blown, and blown along by the wind. And that wind may, when you read Ephesians, may refer to culture. Blown along by whatever the winds are, are directing. That's where their teaching is going. It's not following the absolute truth. In fact, they're in rebellion towards the absolute truth. Blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit, meaning it's time for a harvest, but they don't have anything, and uprooted, twice dead. And that's that key right here. We're talking to the beloved. They're, they're, they're in Christ. They have the new covenant, but these are uprooted. They, they, they're not coming back. It's not like, well, maybe the tree needs some water. Maybe the tree needs another season. It's like, no, look, the tree is not even in the ground. It's, it's dead. Well, maybe we can put some leaves on it, some Christmas lights. The thing is dead. These leaders are dead twice uprooted and it's that's kind of emphasized throughout the book again keep thinking about that though 
twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, and then again, wandering stars for whom the blackest darkness has been reserved. Just like a shooting star goes across the sty, sky, and where does it go? Just, you never see it again. It's in outer darkness. And that is where these people are headed. Now, verse 14, we talked about this last week. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. See, and he, here's the quote from first Enoch. And again, we, we, we talked about this. Uh, when he said, Enoch is a historical character in the book of Genesis. Uh, but he, there's also the book of First Enoch and other writings by supposedly Enoch. And in that book, in those books, he's referred to as the seventh from Adam. So this could be, uh, he's going to quote something, he's going to quote it from the book of First Enoch. And so we know where it's coming from, and the fact that it's seventh from Adam may be a reference to this book, this author, the one who says this. And we looked last week at several verses that Paul refers to, that he's quoting. We looked at, we read the poems, the Greek poems that Paul's quoting these Greek poets. And even I talked to Tony afterwards, it was kind of like unnerving. I know how you felt. I felt unnerved, kind of nervous reading him because, you know, great is Zeus and mighty is the power of Zeus. It's like, oh, I don't mean this. But you're reading the text and there, and Paul is drawing out of those pieces of truth and putting them in scripture. Uh, and again, we went to, so that, that the question about this Enoch is, is this a scriptural book? Why is it not in the Bible? Should Enoch, because Jude quotes it, should it be in scripture? Or because Jude quotes Enoch, should Jude not be in scripture? Or is this just something that everyone was familiar with, the book of Enoch? And there's a truth that these are ungodly men, and they are going to face the judgment of God, as Enoch wrote. Just like meander or whoever that paul's quoting from it's like ah here's a truth and so that's kind of where again that's i'm going to make some teaching and i'm going to make some statements but that's probably where i'm going to leave it is we don't need to accept the book of enoch as scripture we don't have to reject the book of jude for going here otherwise you're going to be rejecting other epistles but we have to accept the fact that this captures a truth and there's nothing new here in these verses like well that's that's a new doctrine but it captures it and the idea here is uh, the key word, see, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way and of all the harsh words. The key we're going to talk about here is harsh words, ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And so Enoch spoke about these men. Now, Enoch would be speaking to his generation, say it's Genesis chapter 6, if that's indeed the case, or if it was something that was written sometime during you know, the, cl the closing years of the Old Testament, he's talking about people who are speaking harshly against God, and because of that, they are going to face judgment. And these men in 55 AD, if that's when you want to date the book of Jude, are in the same category. And so that's where it says in, in verse 16, uh, uh, these men are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. Verse 17, but dear friends, there's there. See, see right there. I'm reading NIV right now. I'm not sure what translation you're reading, but verse 17, but dear friends. Now that sounds like a letter, you know, dear friends, we're going to have a birthday party and all the friends are invited. Dear friends, that is not, again, I'm, I'm being critical here, so, you know, be careful. That is, that is 
other places translated beloved because it, that's a covenant term. That's not like friends are invited to the birthday party. That's like, but you, these people are heading to darkness. They're doomed. They're not coming back. But you, beloved, you are in the new covenant. Don't let these people mislead you. You are heading towards glory. They're heading towards eternal darkness. And so it's not just, dear friends, be careful, make your choices. It is, it's, it's, it's an admission of that these people are saved. Again, that's, we'll talk about that a little bit more. But dear friends, remember that the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in quote, in the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. And there's a quote. And that's going to lead me to the beginning of the notes right here. Because in verse 17, he addresses the, the beloved. And then in verse 18, he goes back and quotes now from the apostles, which is very similar to what he's been doing this whole book. And if you look on your notes on page 1, uh, again, what we have here is Jude throughout this, and he just got done quoting Enoch. It's like, why does he quote Enoch? Well, if you look right here, there's, there's, this would be the fourth time where he's dealing with a text. He takes, and this is amazing, we're we only in verse 14, and he's already referred to, and you, you don't notice it, but he's already referred to Exodus and Numbers a couple of times, Genesis 6, Genesis 19, the ascension of Moses, Zechariah chapter 3, Genesis 4 again, Numbers 22 with the Balaam story, uh, Numbers 16 with the core story, and then by the time he gets to verse 14, it's like, oh, hey, I should quote something from Enoch. So in verse 14, he's quoting Enoch, but he's already quoted, if you look right here, all the text, verses 5 through 7, he's quoting the text, or he's referring to uh, the Exodus generation, he's referring to the angels who... Uh, are locked up, uh, which is Genesis 6, but it could also be, you know, a, a, a other writings. Uh, Sodom in Genesis 19. And then in verse 8, he makes a comment. He makes application to that day. This is what happened in the past. Here's what they're doing, and guess what's going to happen to them? The same thing. And then in Jude 9, he's going to quote uh, refer to uh, Michael, which is the ascension of Moses, and could refer to Zechariah chapter 3. We've got the same story. Michael standing at the right hand and rebuking Satan. We'll just say uh, chat verse 9. And then that leads to verse 10, a comment where false teachers blast in what they do not understand and are destroyed like animals in the things they do understand. Just like here, Michael had enough sense not to go outside of his jurisdiction. These people they're way outside of, they're way out of bounds. They're blaspheming things they don't even talk about. And the things they do understand, it's destroying them because they're, they're so foolish. And then he goes back right here, right back to another text. That's verse 11, or chapter, yeah, verse 11. That's the way of Cain, Balaam's heir, Korah's rebellion. Three Old Testament examples. Why? Because in verses 12 through 13, we just got done reading it. He's going to give you the whole breakdown of they're like trees, they're like clouds, they're like stars. He breaks down. That's what's happening here. And now, what happens in verse 14 through 15, he's going to quote first Enoch, and then comes the teaching right here in verse 16, the application. And then we're going to have a verse 17, and he goes right back and quotes. The next thing he's going to quote is going to be the apostles. And so he's just one, two, three, four, five different texts that he's basing all of his teaching on uh, is giving him this information. So it's, it's a fairly loaded uh, book, short, but very intense, and don't you wish I could teach like that? Make a verse, make a point, thanks for coming. Instead, we spent, you know, 
18 hours on one of his verses, and I apologize. They're, they're different people have different gifts, and, and that's not, it may not be even a gift. It may be a deficiency. But uh, I do admire because it, when you see how he's packed that stuff in, it, so it's a short letter, and then you begin to wonder how, how Jude would have written it. Is he just sitting down and just like throwing this thing together quick, or has he taught it several times, gone to the churches, talked with others about it, and has refined this message to this right here. Meaning if, if, if like me, I'm just be rambling, it'd take me like four weeks to get through it. But if Jude thinks about it and gets precise, he can put this all together in, in one short letter. Back of the Bible, they don't even think about it, but yet it's very well thought out. Again, something to think about. Uh, on page one of the notes, Jude, I've got Jude 14 there written in the English Standard Version now with the Greek text below it. And what I want to point out here, and we read this last week, I'll just read it. It was also about these, also about these men, these false teachers, that Enoch, the seventh from Adam. Now, he's never referred to as the seventh from Adam in Scripture, but he is. If you count Adam as one, Enoch is the seventh. But he is referred to several times as the seventh from Adam in the first Enoch, which means Jude and all of his readers were familiar with this book of Enoch, uh, prophesied saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones. Now, the ver word I want to look at is that word also. In the English, third word over, also. It's in the Greek below. It's K-A-I. Uh, it, it can be and or it can be also. And the best translation is probably as it has right there, also. So he prophesied about his generation in Genesis chapter 6, but also he was prophesying about these men of 55 AD or the same people in 2023. And the prophecy is not, be careful now. It's like, so he's predicting these, this is going to happen. And he's looking from Genesis chapter 6, looking all the way through time into 55 AD. He says, ah, I see false teachers in 55 AD. That could be, that's very limited understanding of prophecy, but it's, it's, it's a pronouncement of God's way of what takes place. He was talking probably to people of his generation, but in speaking this truth, he's also talking about the false teachers of 55 AD. In other words, Enoch also talked about this when he spoke of his generation. It's happening again in 55 AD, and we can say, and thus, he's talking about people of our day that are doing the same thing that are fitting into this idea. So, again, it's a characteristic of the truth is there's going to be this false teaching coming along. And that's the main thing there, and I'll turn the page to, here's the rest of Jude's, or Enoch's prophecy, Jude 15, of the Lord is coming with 10,000 upon 10,000, and that's, that's the angels, when we talked about that last week, repeatedly throughout, from Deuteronomy, through Daniel, through the Gospels, Revelation, it's the angels are coming back to execute this judgment, um, to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against them. So he's coming back to judge the ungodly for their deeds and for their words. And these words are described as harsh words. And so we've spent a, quite a bit of time so far, Jude's been talking about the deeds these people have done. What focuses now, now, right now, in these next couple verses, is the words and how these people are, are speaking. 
Um, and I've got several things circled in there. Uh, one thing that is circled, and I mentioned this last week, point two, is the, the, the two words that are repeated four times. The all, the patan in the Greek, and ungodly, it, that's repeated over and over. Again, it's almost cumbersome to read it, but that's in the text, all and ungodly. But then the two words in verse 15 that are in the square, he's coming back in judgment and to convict. And this judgment, he's coming back with ten thousands upon ten thousands to judge. And judge is judgment is an act of God. It's an eschatological event where, again, we are waiting for the judgment. We're wait, waiting for uh, God's righteousness. We're waiting for God to make things for this part of the Christian ideas. We're living in an age that we are in a suffering, even the fact that we're just suffering because of you know, being in a body or suffering because of persecution. But we are enduring that in faith, knowing the glory is coming. I mean, we are not abandoned. We are, we are living in this time, and we're going to follow Christ and, and suffer along with Him and do the things that God has called us to do. If it's merely just live our life faithfully, doing the things that are right, you know, if it be family or at work or whatever, just we're going to do things the way the Creator intended. Or we're going to take a step and, and confess Jesus Christ, and the world is going to oppose that. Well, you can be suffering because you're simply here, you can be suffering because you've got to follow God's righteousness and not just give in to your flesh. Or you can be suffering because you're going to face persecution because you're going to take a stand for righteousness. We are going to eventually, we're waiting for the judgment where things are leveled off and God is going to reward the righteous and bring judgment. This is what he's talking about. He's coming back to judge us. Hopefully it's going to re result in rewards. But he's coming back to judge these ungodly. And here's the word when he comes back. And this is an eschatological reference, meaning it can happen in time, but Jude and Enoch are looking towards an eschatological event. And when he does come back, he's going to convict. Now, if conviction, we've all had conviction, faced conviction in our lives. If you are in time and you are convicted, and let's look at the word convict. It's at the bottom of uh, where is it at? It's on page words, deeds. Oh, yeah, 1B. Jesus will come to convict. Uh, convict means to show someone their sin and to call them to change. So in the church age, the Holy Spirit is here to convict us. And we, we start going the way of the world. We start doing something that's contrary to the Spirit of God. There's conviction, and it's identifying a sin so that we can respond and make correction. This right here is a different time. And that leads on to the next point. This conviction or rebuke is now no longer instructive or leading to repentance or educational. When it's, when it's eschatological, when he's coming with ten thousands of ten thousands to judge the ungodly for all the ungodly things he's done and to convict them, he's going to reveal to them the things they've done wrong. He's going to reveal to them how foolish they were. He's going to reveal, and they're going to, they're going to understand it but it's too late. You're, you're being judged and convicted at the same time. We in the church age are, in a sense, convicted, but the ideal is then you go, ah, and you repent, confess your sins, repent, and continue to walk in the light as he is in the light. This right here is another sign along with the stars shooting off into darkness forever. This is, again, an indication that the people that are leading this church in 55 AD, the only conviction they're going to ever experience because they don't have, they do not have the Spirit of God. The only conviction they're going to experience 
is on this day. And they're like, oh no. It would have been nice to have the Spirit sometime during your life where you could have made corrections, but you rejected this. You manipulated situations, and now you're in an eschatological event where God is now revealing to you your sin, but it's too late. You have no hope. And again, again, this points to the hopelessness of the false teachers. In 55 AD, but then you wonder who's moving among us or among the church today that are in the same category. If you apply this, it was true in Enoch's day, it's true in Jude's day, it must be true in our day that there are people in positions that are misleading people and, they ha- and the reason they, they are not convicted, they don't have the spirit. They're, they're, they're like brute beasts, they're like animals. It's like, I don't understand what the problem is. This is just working really well for me. I'm getting everything I want. And they just keep going. And the problem is somehow they rise to leadership position and one of the reasons for that is, of course, power and then money, which is a part of power, which indicates, and I'll point this out again towards the end of the notes, what kind of church this is. Because they're going to be, it's going to end up saying, they're flattering people for their own advantage. They're, they're manip- putting people in positions so that they can gain something. Now, if you're talking about a, a church riddled in poverty, a church that is completely rejected by the community and by the roman empire there's zero here there's zero here uh you're not going to have a lot of false teachers coming here and flattering manipulating people to get the advantage because it's like well there's nothing here we're going to just move on to the next target but these people up here which is very interesting appear to have something that they're swamped with false teachers it must mean there's something there to be gained and more than just you know a pat on the back or that was a nice sermon it's got to be something that their flesh would want uh just kind of keep that in mind as we go through this but that's page two point one there execute judgment and to convict jesus will come and execute the judgment this is the role of god an eschatological event and then this conviction or rebuke is no longer instructive it's not leading to repentance or education Uh, the conviction is a seal of hopelessness again another indication these people are, they're trees that are uprooted. I mean, they're like pulled out of the ground. They're stars going into darkness. Yes, but what could happen? Nothing. They're going into darkness. But the tree's uprooted. Well, maybe it could. No, it's dead. It's not even in the ground. And the, the, they're waiting for conviction when? On the eschatological, not, not conviction from this letter. They'll read this letter and go, I don't even understand the letter. But they will understand when Jesus Christ reveals it to them. Uh, the truth of their evil will be exposed, but there is no hope of redemption. Okay, and then point three. The wicked are judged for two things, deeds and words. And here we talk about their words are called harsh. And you can see the Greek word there, harsh words. Uh, and uh, that's just, you can see it in the box up there. Uh, concerning all the harsh things, it's in a square box. It's uh, scleron if I were to try to pronounce it in the Greek, that have spoken against him, uh, sinners, ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So they're speaking harsh words. Now they're speaking towards, now watch, they're speaking towards God with harsh words. We're going to go into the next verse, and they're going to be saying positive things. Uh, They're going to be saying positive things about two people. One, themselves, and they're going to be called boastful. They're going to be 
large bloated words about themselves and they're going to be saying positive things about others but it's going to be uh flattery right to their face they're for they're they're boasting about themselves for gain they're flattering others to manipulate so they're going to be saying harsh words towards god but the positive things are about themselves and about others and we always want to be positive Okay, well, wait, wait, in this category right here, are you being positive to help others or are you being positive to manipulate? The false teachers are manipulating. And they're not just being positive about themselves, they're boasting. And we'll look at those words. But that's coming up right here. The first thing we look at is the harsh words and what this means. It's towards God. And uh, bottom of page two, the word harsh is scleron, meaning hard, rough. And it's used to say these words are hard, violent harsh stern uh it conveys reproach and uh, another commentary or uh, dictionary actually says these are harsh words that are inhumane and uncivil so they're inhumane uncivil harsh words that are being spoken towards god and they're 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 getting away see nothing is happening now you see that you see uh, on tv uh you see uh, in the media you see people and they say these things about God, just blasphemous things about God, uh, discrediting him, mocking him, uh, uncivil. And, and what happens? Nothing. It's like, well, it looks like, well, it looks like there's no God. It's like, well, not necessarily. It may indicate that if you had the spirit, you'd reflect and say, yeah, that's probably not right. But if you don't have the spirit, You'll just keep right on going until the day of judgment. Uh, the word scleron uh, does appear. I've got it written down here, but it doesn't mean anything to us because we're not familiar with the book of First Enoch. But it does kind of tie it together. First Enoch 5.4 uses the word, harsh words. Enoch 101, verse 3. Aren't you glad we don't have 101 chapters of Enoch to have to teach through? Uh, although you'd probably enjoy it. Uh, verse 3 says, You utter bold and hard words, Megala Kosklera against his righteousness. So even in the book of Enoch, they're speaking harsh words against his righteousness. So again, it's not scripture, but they're speaking against God. They're speaking against his righteousness. So God is going to have his standard, his justice, his way the creator designed it, and they're speaking against his righteous standard. In other words, they're trying to recreate the world, their life in their own image instead of submitting to God. And that's, that's out of 1st Enoch. And again, in page 3, 1st Enoch 27, where judgment is pronounced against those who speak with their mouth unbecoming words against the Lord and utter hard words concerning His glory. So here in 1st Enoch 27, they're speaking not against His righteousness, but against His glory, uh, which is something you wouldn't want to do, of course. And a quote from 1st Enoch 5, 4, You have not done the commandments of the Lord, but you have transgressed and spoken slanderously grave and harsh words with your impure mouths against his greatness. So against his righteousness, against his glory, against his greatness. And all those verses come from Enoch, which is where Jude is getting that information. So that's kind of, you can kind of see he's working in that that arena. Jude 16. Now, that's the end of Jude's quote of Enoch. Now he's going to now make, like we had the box, that's his text, now the application. And there's several words in here. Uh, these are, talking about the people, the false teachers, and again, not, not talking about the congregation or the believers, the beloved, 
But these are the people that have risen up and are, are misleading you, and you can't identify them. And Jude is saying, look, there they are. Well, we don't want to be judgmental. Everyone has, it's like, no, that person is, is harshly speaking against the Lord, against his righteousness, against his glory. These are, and here, if you need another clue, here's what they sound like. These are grumblers. This is the English Standard Version. Grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. So, uh, again, I apologize, but there's a ton of things in here to break down. You could just read it and have it. There you got your English translation. But you've got grumblers. That they are, they'll, they'll speak with grumbling. Melcontents is the English standard. Uh, I, th- I like the, uh, the transliteration is discontented. So malcontents, they're not happy. Uh, following their own evil desires. It's kind of like a little <laughs> bracket right here. What, what is causing them to grumble and be discontent? They're following not the Spirit. They're, they're following not the, the Word of God. They're following not God's plan. They're following their own sinful desires sinful desires and this again goes right back why aren't they convicted because they're not following the spirit they they don't have the spirit to say listen we got to be careful because eventually we're all going to find well you know i grumble in fact that's why 20's got all these signs you come in here what do you see you see little signs in our house we say choose joy choose joy guess who's putting those up tony guess why she lives with a grumbler all right (laughs) well you know there's a truth to that and uh but so, I mean, keep an eye on that because we, we don't want to go here. We can all go here. But hopefully, like, if you don't have the Spirit of God, maybe you've got a Spirit-filled wife who can tell you uh, you're grumbling, you're being malcontent. But hopefully, as a believer, you'll have moments, but the Spirit will convict you. You'll be like, that's, that's not right. I need to change my attitude. Or you're in Christian fellowship, someone. But these people, they're following their own sinful desires, and that's all they've got. It's like they, this is their modus operandi. That's, that's how, where they go. And how do they talk about themselves? They're going to be boastful about themselves. How do they talk to other people? To manipulate them. I mean, if you get with these people and they're talking to you, they're not talking to you. They're manipulating you. It's like, they, it's, like it's their own sinful. They can't do anything. It's like, well, are they like having a conversation or are they being led by the Spirit? No, they're being led by their sinful desire. They're manipulating you. It's like, why can't they be any different? They're brute beasts. They can't. They have not been saved. And they're now, because they're so good at the manipulation, they've risen up into power, and here they are. They're teaching you the way to go. And you're the beloved, and you're being misled. Okay, grumblers, malcontents, and what's causing it? Their own sinful desires. And then it says, uh, they speak great swelling words. I'll just write, that's kind of a fun great swelling words and that is translated boastful uh and flattering faces isn't that great you see the greek greek box right there and flattering that's what the the literal flattering faces so they're grumbling malcontents why because they're only got sinful desires and when they do speak the same sinful there when they speak about themselves they speak great swelling words, and when they speak to you, they're simply flattering your face. And that is, again, you can see that in the Greek. Um, 
but in the English Standard, it says, these are grumblers and malcontents following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters showing favoritism. And the key right here, why are they showing favoritism? To gain advantage. This is all about to gain. Why do they do the grumbling and the malcontents? Their sinful desire. That's the only place they can go. Why do they, why do they ever say anything positive about themselves or about others? To gain to gain something they're just they're manipulating everything and that is what uh, jude is is putting together here so here we go let's look at these words page three two things the false teachers do they have ungodly words have ungodly deeds uh point two the ungodly words are identified and i i think i've got the second one first it is memphsimorus which means fault finders or uh, discontent this is the word uh, malcontent they are f another way of translating it, fault finders so they're critical of everything and here's how that's broken down this was a care oh this is interesting this was a character in greek plays that was never happy now this is a, you know like again i don't know anything about theater and stuff so i'm going to try to say this and you probably understand it already without me even saying anything but if you've got a, if you've got like a sitcom you're going to have these three characters you're going to have you know this character and this character and then there's going to be always the character that's funny I th I, i'm thinking seinfeld you know you're going to have kramer you're going to have jerry you're you know i don't even know the other guys' names but they, they play characters and if you're going to write another play or a skit you're going to have the same characters you're going to change them a little bit but they're going to fill these basic roles in in the greek plays there was this was this character was Memsimor or whatever. It was a player that was never happy, an actor. You have all this play going on. You're going to have this character, this character. Then here comes a character that's never. George. Is that, would that be George in, 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 stands in, in Seinfeld? Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay, thank you. I, I, I'm not an expert on this. I don't even watch Seinfeld. I just see reels pop up on my Facebook page. Uh, I wish I would. That's one of the things. It's like when some of those shows were like really popular, you kind of wish you would have paid attention but it's kind of come and gone no you don't okay okay <laughs> i didn't miss anything <laughs> okay uh but anyway that that was a character uh, uh they want to uh they want what they do not have they're never satisfied with what happens in the winter they like summer but in the summer they want it to be winter they're always that that's their that's their nature uh, and again, you think, well, that sounds a little bit like me. Or yeah. Tony says, that sounds a little bit like me. It's like, <laughs> I mean, okay, so there's a place where in, in July when it's hot, it's like, oh, I wish it was fall, you know. And now it's fall, it's like, ah, where'd all the leaves go? So it's like, that's part of that suffering as a human. It's, it's never perfect. Uh, but we, we correct ourselves and say, well, okay, right, but these people live here. Uh, it's, a, it's a critical attitude. It's habitual complaining. The false teachers were quick to find fault and weaknesses in others and even in the Lord. And so this is one of the character traits. They come in and nothing's good enough. Nothing's good enough because what they're going to do, they're going to try to downplay everything. And there's only one way to solve this is, ta-da, great swelling words about themselves. So to get to this point, they need to complain about everything. Plus, again, they don't know, they don't have the hope of God. I mean, that's, that's the nature of a man without God is to grumble. And again, I will grumble at times, but at the same time, I know enough about God that it's like there's, okay, there's good things happening. God, something good is coming about. But if you don't know God, this is your destiny. You're, you're in a world that is falling apart. What is there? Uh, okay, I, okay, that was, that was fault finders. I'm sorry, that was fault finders. The next word. 
which is the second word, or the first word, is uh, grumblers. And this is an interesting word. It's, it, I can't pronounce the word. Maybe you can. It's anumatopodic word. It means it's a word that has a f- phonetically imitates something, like the word bang. It, it's not a word. It's a sound. Or the cooing of a dove. What is coo? Is that a word? Well, that's the sound it makes. And so this is the grumbler. It, it would pronounce, the word is gongumos. And it's, it's supposed to be that low mum, mumbling, uh, you know, just like, it's grumble in the Greek. The word means oh, just kind of grumbling along is where the word comes from, and that's what that's what that was trying to say. It is the distinguishing character. Point three: grumbling is the distinguishing character trait of a man without God. They grumble about their lot in life, and they grumble about their luck. In this case, right here, they're grumbling about what God has done for them, and, and we've all like, I wish I was this, I wish I was that. But when you come to God and you walk with God, you begin to realize God has me in the right place. Uh, I'm the right person. God is using me where I'm at. And you can avoid this grumbling where these person, nothing's happened. What God has done, God ha- God, they're not happy with God. They're not happy with creation. They're not happy with themselves. They're not happy with anything because they can't find their place because they don't have God. Point four, Paul used this word to describe the grumbling of the Exodus generation. This is what the Exodus generation did. They came out of Egypt. They came out of slavery, got in the wilderness, and they want to be free. Now you're free. Ah, we wish we were slaves. And they were grumblers, and they, they did not know God. Uh, Paul says, uh, we must not put Christ to the... Now, this is interesting. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did in the wilderness, and were destroyed by serpents nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. So they followed God in the wilderness, and when they saw God's plan, it wasn't good enough, and God worked for them, and finally it's like, fine. They started dropping dead, and that's what Paul's advice to the Corinthians. Don't be like that. Philippians 1, verses 14 through 15, Paul uses the word again. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights of the world. And you can see it right there. You've got two sides of, of history, two sides of the world. You've got the children of God who are living in a world that is, is uh, 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 crooked and twisted, and that's where we're at. But in this world, we are. this is, this is the call. Uh, this is the the vocation that we would have at this point in history is like we were saved, we're maturing in Christ, and we're looking towards glory, but what do we do now in history? Well, you're living in a crooked and twisted generation amongst grumblers and malcontents, people that don't know God and they can't be convicted. What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to rise above that. You're supposed to not be grumbling, not be malcontents, and like it says right here, uh, without grumbling and disputing, be blameless and innocent without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. In other words, you're to try to follow this vocation. While you're waiting for the glory of God to be revealed, you're supposed to be living as if you understand it, that, that you're hoping for it. I know it's twisted. I know it's perverted here, but I am going to follow God, do what's right, be positive, not in a fake sense. Again, positive is such a dangerous word. But live, here it says, as innocent children of God without without blame. So that word pops up there in Paul's writing. Turn the page four. Uh, point three on top of page four. Enoch's prophecy was the announcement of the fate of men like this who were fault finders, never happy, never satisfied, and grumblers, always complaining about their place in life, upset about the, how things happen. 
the thing that drives, motivates, provides priority for these false teachers is they follow their own sinful desires. We talked about that. That's what they're doing. And literally, they live by their passions. In other words, sinful desires, they live by their passions, and that's where that leads. Believers should be motivated by God's desires. Okay, point six. The heretics in the church do two things with their words. And here's the next point right here. They're going to boast and flatter. So they're not happy with their lot in life. They're, they're not happy with other people. They can't be content. But now they're going to, I will just say, boast and flatter. And I already showed you it's a little more colorful in the literal Greek translation. But this is what, the, this is what you could expect from their performance. Uh, they, they do two things. They boast about themselves. This is the positive praise for themselves. This is the positive praise for others. But both, both of these are for gain, trying to manipulate the situation. Uh, their praise uh, is of themselves. Literally, here's what it literally says, their mouths speak haughty, bombastic words. Boastful or great swelling is from, there you can see the Greek word. It means excessive weight, excessive size. And it's used, interestingly, in Daniel chapter 7 and Daniel chapter 11, and I'll refer to that in a moment. But we're talking about Antiochus Epiphanes, when he rose up against the Jews, the, 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 uh, the Maccabean Wars, uh, he came and spoke, spoke this way. The same word, he spoke boastful. And it's talking about the Antichrist, which a forerunner was, was Antiochus Epiphanes. And this is what Daniel writes, or the angel was telling Daniel. I considered the horns, J Daniel chapter 7, verse 8 through 11. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, the little horn. And this is Antiochus Epiphanes in the Revelation, if, he, if, if we got it right. There's going to be ten leaders, and one little horn is going to come up and eliminate four of them and take the place and eventually lead them. That's the Antichrist. Well, this, this is the rise of Antiochus Epiphanes, or the rise of the Antichrist, is going to be this very thing. Uh, uh, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. I said four. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things, speaking these swelling, boastful things, meaning very, very arrogant, exactly the character trait of a false teacher or a man without God. This is the epitome of a man without God. Rise up and talk about how great he is and is going to end up speaking against God. Daniel 11, verse 36 says something else about him. And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak astonishing things against the God of gods. Same thing, speaking now, boasting, swelling things about himself against the God of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished for what is decreed shall be done, of course, he's hopeless also and the false teachers boast uh, of themselves even boasting over against god and this is one of the traits right here is they're not just boasting about themselves they're boasting over god and this would be something to consider when you say is this person a false teacher is this person a heretic is he misleading uh the church is he misleading the saints is he even saved is their words are not just talking about how great they are they're putting themselves over God. Now, how would you do that? You're not going to say, I rule the universe. But a, a simple one would you're going to have, we'll say, the word of God here in the text of Scripture. And then you're going to have the little word of me right here. 
And you're going to say, ah, the Bible says, but we can't trust the Bible. We don't understand the Bible. The Bible's not a thing. This right here, but I will say to you. Now, Jesus did that. I say to you. You've heard it that's written. I say to you. That's a little different because Jesus is God, and he's clarifying what the text was saying. This would be a, just an example. It just says, over God. And so they're putting their word, their opinion, and any time you see a church, a denomination, and it's, it's, an, it's an easy target today. Here's what the Word of God says about this particular issue or about life or about the glory of God or time, the purpose of God, whatever. Here's what we think, and they start filling in the blank, recreating it. That is boasting over God, uh, putting themselves over God. That's what the Antichrist and high Epiphany try to do, and you can see it coming. It, it's, it's here. It was there in Enoch's day. It was there in Jude's day. We see it going to come in the future. It's got to be around us somewhere. And that, those are the boastful words, boasting for gain. And then here's the last one, is flatter others for their own advantage. Their praise or positive comments towards others is to manipulate people into a position because, as you see in the text, I'll, I'll read it one more time, these are the grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouthed boasters showing favoritism. Why? To gain advantage. Why are they boasting over God? To gain an advantage. Why are they flattering you to your face? To gain an advantage. Yeah, but they look like they're very confident and they say such nice things to me. Okay, that can be, you can find a confident person who's very polite. Okay, that doesn't mean they're a false teacher. But if you find someone very confident, so confident they're overriding the Word of God, and they're talking to you about how fine you are, how excellent you are, how talented you are, uh, it's like, well, wait, wait. It's like, are they sincere or are they manipulative? Well, these guys can't be sincere. Uh, it says their praise, positive comments of others is to manipulate people into a position that is most favorable for the false teachers. Literally, the Greek says, as I've said before, but it's worth saying again, the flattering, it says, honoring faces for the sake of advantage. I mean, that sounds like a, a name of an, uh, an album, a rock album. Honoring faces for the sake of advantage. Out next week. Uh, but honoring faces, why would you honor a face? For the sake of advantage. If I can honor this face, I get an advantage. The disregard for God leaves a man fearing men with their opinion. So in other words, right here, the breakdown, if you fear God, and we're going to read a verse here, Paul fears God. Paul is going to say, I fear God, so I would never do that. But if you don't fear God, you would do that. So if you fear God, you're not going to need to flatter people. In fact, you're going to avoid it. If you have no fear of God, you're going to see people as just targets that you can gain something from, which once again indicates there must be something in this group that Jude is writing to that people would want. Disregard for God leaves a man fearing men with and their opinion. Fear of God drives out the fear of men. James chapter 2, verse 1 says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. So this is Jude, James' brother, James has said the same thing. Show no partiality. There's no place of showing favoritism or flattering someone's face because they've got something you can use. Um, uh, the, since it is clear that there is something you gain, okay, that's, I've already said that, point seven. And here's interesting, Paul, in chapter 2, verse 5 and 6 of, of 
of First uh, Thessalonians. He says, "For this is very interesting. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed." So Paul goes out. He went out of his way to make sure when he approached and started a church, there was no flattery involved. Well, that means he's always rude. Well, I mean, he, if he was saying something nice, he was being sincere. And he made sure that you could not trace it back and say, ah, I think he's got here, he's doing this for greed. He was not flattering. He did nothing for greed, keeping himself out of this category. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of, of Christ. In other words, he says, I could have come and said, hey, I'm an apostle, Lord. I need this church to support what I'm doing. He says, that would have been totally misunderstood. You would have just seen me right here with the false teachers. I'm manipulative, and I've got greed. I want this. It's like, I could have, but it would not have been processed correctly. So I'm just going to avoid that whole thing. And here at the bottom box, their point, or bottom page four, false teachers and heretics are godless and practice impiety. The true shepherds of the servant of God are righteous and practice justice. And that leads us to the next verse, and we're about done here. So after describing, uh, after describing these false teachers, Jude now, and this, this is the beginning of next week, we had one, two, three, four texts. This last text was the book of Enoch. This is now introducing the fifth text. And again, it's, it's a big text. It's not like just one. It's, it's more like a, a category of messages. He says, to now to the church, but you must remember. He says, do not, it's like, oh, it's all falling apart. No, 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 remember, no. Recall this. You knew this was going to happen. If you have the truth, you're going to have the deception. If you've got someone that's presenting the gospel, you're going to have someone that's misrepresenting the gospel. If you're going to try to work with people, you're going to have some that you can follow and, and trust, and you have some that are deceitful. So he says, but you must remember, beloved. Okay, right there. So that's that's, that's a, an anchoring term. You must remember, beloved, those of you that are in this covenant. It's like, what's going on? What's going on? No, you're secure. This is what's swirling around the security that you have in Christ. The predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. You must remember the apostles. They predicted this. They predicted all this. Now, it's interesting because Enoch prophesied it, and there's been talking about all these things throughout this, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah, you got Cain all the way back, all this, and then the apostles are going to come and say, when this all gets started, you're going to have false teachers. And that is, uh, that's going to be the, the text that he's now, his new text is he's going to explain. Um, and what I did right here, and th there's a lot of pages here, the rest of this is just cut and pasted right out of uh, the Titanic Faith book from 2015, because this was one of the things uh, that I, I pointed out in Titanic Faith uh, was the false teaching. But what, what, and again, I think this is very interesting and very revealing, is we've got three categories right here of there was a time where it was uh, uh, warned. There's warnings in just the New Testament. Now you can go back to Enoch and Enoch's warning about it. Warning. And then there was the, the battle or the confrontation. <clears throat> and then there was, we'll just say, the loss to the false teachers. And the warning is, they're warning Jesus 
and the early apostles, like we're talking, you know, 30 to say 45 AD, they're warning, look out. Paul says, when I leave, from among your own numbers, he, talking to the Ephesians, he's on a ship heading towards Jerusalem. He's already started the Ephesian church. Uh, he says, when I leave, false teachers will arise from your own numbers. Shepherds are going to rise for their own advantage. I mean, he's talking to the leadership of the church. and says, I'm going to leave, and some of you are going to become the false leaders. It's like, oh, how do you, because that, that, that was the warning. And then you're going to see the battle in the New Testament. Once they say it's going to happen, it begins to happen. You're going to start having false teachers rise up. And Paul and Jude and Peter are going to write, hey, stop this, starting with Galatians. No, this is wrong. Stop, that's false teaching. Or Corinth, they've got the super apostles. They're having their own visions, their own dreams, and they're following. It's like, stop following them. And then the sad thing is, you're going to then get to 80, 85, 90, 80, the opening of the book of Revelation, the seven churches, and you're going to have total churches that are gone. They've lost. Uh, John, well, I'll, read, I'll show you something. It, John, as we've said before, uh, in 2nd, 3rd John, couldn't even get to the church. He, he went to Ephesus at, before the Jewish revolt, helped kind of work in the churches, train some people, uh, Ignatius, uh, Polycarp, and there were some of those guys that were traveling. He had teachers going out and traveling. He got older and older, and they were going out and traveling. He'd try and follow up with the churches. But he would send out people to teach, like Jesus would send out his disciples. John would send out his disciples to teach in the churches around Ephesus that Paul had started and John had taught in. But leadership had taken over and would not let, let his teachers in. In fact, uh, let me read it to you. Do you know this? Um, okay, Third John. The elder. Again, we assume that's John. To my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. And so you're going to have here, you're going to have John, and then there's a guy in the church, Gaius. Did I spell that right? Did I get those words? Then there's going to be the brothers and the brothers are the teachers, the, the disciples of John. And then there's going to be, uh, uh, yeah, Diotrephes. I'll just try and spell this. Diotrephes. This would be a great name for a kid. Diotrephes. Um, dear friend, talking to Gaius, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you. Uh, some churches don't get any further than that. It's like, ah, see, a prosperity verse. Okay, right, okay. Even as your soul is getting along well, it gave me great joy to have some brothers come and tell about your faithfulness to the truth and how you continue to walk in the truth. Some teachers that he'd sent out returned and says, guys, doing a great job. He's, he's maturing. He's doing a great job. All right. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So these are his disciples. This is one of the people he's led the Lord that he's like discipling. Now, now John, John's an old man. I mean, he's 85 years old. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers, for the brothers that are coming out. You're faithful in what you're doing, even though they are strangers to you. I mean, they're not members of your church, but I'm sending them, and you're bringing them in, giving them a sandwich, giving them a place to teach. They have told the church about your love. So the church that John is associated with, they came back and reported to the whole church, Gaius is doing a great job. 
they have told the church about your love, you will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. And in a manner worthy of God was they would get to stay at his house one day, he would pack them a sandwich to send them on their way to the next location. Listen to them, welcome them, let them stay. But if a, if a, if a brother, this is from, the, this is from a, uh, the teaching of the disciples, the Dachi. Uh, if, if, a, if, a, if, a, if a teacher stayed more than one day or they, they wanted more than like a sandwich for the next meal, uh, they were a false teacher. So in other words, they weren't like, anyway, prosperity preachers. Okay, they got a, they got a room and a sandwich. See you next time. It was for the sake of the name that they went out. For Jesus. Receiving no help from the pagans. There's no government help here. There's not a government program. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such men so that we may work together for the truth. So when they come, it's good that you welcome them. I wrote to the church. I wrote to your church. He's at history. I wrote to your church. The reason he's talking to guys is guys the only one he can get to. I wrote to the church that you're from. But Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. Now, who's Diotrephes? He's in charge of Gaius' church. Gaius is a believer. He listens to the brothers. He supports the brothers. He's in fellowship with John the Apostle. But I wrote to the church, but no one saw the letter. Because Diotrephes threw it away. So, if I come, and he can't say I'm going to come because he's an old man. But if I come... I will call attention to what he is doing, gossiping maliciously about us. See that? He's talking, raising himself above the apostle. He's spreading rumors about John, like John is just in it for the money, or John's got some kind of sexual immorality as a 90-year-old man, or whatever. It's like he's saying something about John, gossiping maliciously about us, not satisfied with that. He refuses to welcome the brothers. So he's telling the church how bad I am. And then when we do send the brothers, he won't let the brothers come into the church because they're going to set things straight. So he's taken over the church. They've lost one of the churches of Ephesus to Diotrephes uh, in, by, by 85, 90 A.D. Uh, he refuses to welcome the brothers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. In other words, Gaius... He'll stop you from welcoming the brothers, and you're going to end up getting kicked out of the church. Guys, you're going to end up on the streets with no home church because you're accepting the brothers that I sent as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And Diotrephes says, no, my way. He's exalting his word above the word of God. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him and you know that our testimony is true. So here's Demetrius, another brother that's traveling. So in other words, he's on his way to come. He says, we speak good, you speak good. He's in the circle. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon and we'll talk face to face. You can bet that's not flattering the face. That's face to face teaching, not face to face flattery. Peace to you. The friends here, see, he's not alone. The friends here send you their greeting. Greet the friends there by name. So that is 
kind of what is taking place right here on this page right here. The warning, Matthew, John, and then Acts 20, that's where Paul's with Ephesus. And the confrontation, where was the confrontation with the false teachers? Well, Galatians, 2 Thessalonians, 2 Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Timothy, Titus. And then the churches that are lost, I've got 2 Peter, and then I put Jude in here also. Notice, as you go through this, I date Jude at that time. I was putting Jude dating it at 64 AD, which may be right. So, I mean, I say 55, I said 64. Uh, you know, I don't know. But it's, it's in that window. It's not 90 AD. It's not 110 AD. It's, it's somewhere between 55 and 65 AD, I would think. Anyway, 2 Timothy, there, and here we just read 3 John uh, and Revelation. All, those are churches that have been lost. It's like they, they, they lost the battle. The, the believers would have to flee and the false teachers, Diotrephes, see, the brothers aren't even accepted. John can't get a teacher in. Guy, as soon as Diotrephes finds out, Guy is still getting letters from John, you can't come to church. John can't visit, but he does say, when I come, I mean, the, the son of thunder, the son of thunder is going to come visit your church, and you won't let, him, let his teachers come in. It's like, this guy, Jesus stopped this guy from calling fire down on the Samaritans, and he's coming to your church because you won't let his teachers in. It's like, man. You know, wouldn't it be nice to, to meet John? You can bet that that would have been a fun showdown. And we wish I had more letters about that. Well, then he writes Revelation, you know, which is, you can kind of get the, feel the heat there also. I'll pray and we're done. I appreciate you being here. Father, we thank you for the chance to look into these things. We thank you for the time that we can spend in your word. We ask that we would allow these things to, to penetrate our hearts, that we would be convicted by your spirit, that we would correct our own poor words, our own corrupt deeds, and do the things that you've called us to do. And we do thank you for the Spirit of God that's leading us in righteousness and ask that we may share the Word of God with others and take up the, the suffering of this age, living, it, living in righteousness, living in purity at this time in history, and not collapsing to the, the spirit of this age. We do thank you for this opportunity and look forward to your return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for your time.